Welcome to Wood Talk for woodworkers by woodworkers. Now here are three guys who are actually under the illusion that woodworking is cool. Mark, Matt, and Shannon. All right, it's Wood Talk number 266 for August 10th, 2015. On today's show, we're talking about are chairs difficult to make, filling cracks in cutting boards, and wood movement in wide lumber. All that and more coming up, but first, let's hear a quick word from our sponsor, who happens to be SawStop. After more than a decade, SawStop's combination of safety and precision has made them the number one cabinet saw in North America. Use the interactive tools at SawStop.com to build and price your ideal SawStop, and then find a dealer online or near you. Protect yourself today with SawStop. And you know what? Later on in the show, we're going to have a little discussion about SawStop's new sliding table attachment, which is pretty nifty. And we'd like to uh, send out a special thank you to a couple of folks who helped us out with donations. Martin Smith and Jeff Waite. Thank you so much, gentlemen. We really appreciate the support. And if you want to help us out too, you can just go to woodtalkshow.com, look over in the right-hand column. You'll see some links for donations, either one-time or recurring donations. And uh, that really helps uh, support us. You know, we've got uh, server fees to pay. Um, Matt, you know, the thing is he, he likes to wear clean socks. So once in a while, he's like, hey, can you send me a few bucks? I'm out of socks. Yeah, and I really like the merino wool ones, but they're just not Ooh. in my budget. Yeah, fancy. Yeah. It's you know, yeah. it's it's that's a highbrow thing. It's just part that of what it, we do. That is. So most of the time, I'm just happy that it's not paper bags <laughs> on my feet. I while nice, <laughs> they do cause a little chafing, and yeah. I only prefer chafing in one area. Actually, I don't prefer it in that hey, area. Uh, I like to get away from all chafing. If yeah, possible. preferably. So anyway, you want to go with the rest of the show? Sure thing. Uh, yeah. you, I, well, I do want to <laughs> say special thanks to Martin Smith, just because. Anytime somebody named Martin does something in the show, it brings out the jersey and Mark, and I love it. <laughs> really? Special thanks to Martin. Martin. I love it. But that's his name, Martin. Martin. Uh, you guys are weird. Um, you can also enter our giveaway at woodtalkshow.com slash giveaway, and we'd like to congratulate someone who called in on a recent show and actually calls in uh, quite often and emails us, Robert DeVries. He was the winner of a Wood Talk t-shirt, and not just because he calls in all the time. It was totally random, and he happened to win. Um, but we we know he's a cheap Hollander, right? So getting something for free should make him pretty happy. That explains the uh, the, the loud noise I heard from just south <laughs> yeah. of me. It was, either, it was either Bob or I don't know if anybody else knows this. Well, I don't think anybody would know this because I don't. I don't think he's put this anywhere, but I suddenly had a, a message come in from Chuck Bender, who apparently was just a pinch further south of Bob DeVries, and he says, hey, you know, uh, you're on this side of the state, right? And I said, yeah, and then I never heard from him again, so I don't know <laughs> if that like made him get back on the plane and leave, yeah. or if he's still somewhere around here having a good time. Oh, there you go. And uh, you know, a quick reminder here, we mentioned it last week, but we are going on a little bit of a vacation. This will be our last regular show, and well, the weekend show is coming as well. Uh, so this is our last week of normal shows, and then for a few weeks we will have weirdness uh, of us just talking. I don't know, we'll see, we'll see what the format is going to be. It should be interesting. Uh, but we will be on vacation from August 17th through September 7th, and we will return to regular programming on the 14th. So that should be interesting, and hopefully we'll come back revitalized. You know, not not that we're like just hanging on by a thread here. We enjoy doing the show, <laughs> but uh, it's all good. So uh, let's move into what's on the bench. All right. So for me, uh, you know, I was able to finish the hamper finally. So I think last time I had mentioned that I wasn't 100% sure that weaving pattern business was going to pan out. And fortunately it did. I got uh, the sides done as sub-assemblies and then connected those to the front. And there was a very tricky moment where the system I was using to to pull and, and kind of clamp with calls to clamp the overhanging pieces of the, the weave pattern so they could go into a groove. That system worked perfectly when I was doing the side sub assemblies, but when I had to attach the sides to the, to the front, 
I didn't have the same clamping arrangement that I used before, so I could only put one clamp in from one side. So the trying to get it all to go into the groove proved to be very tricky and uh, came up with a couple of tricks. It'll all be in the video, um, but that is something that will make you sweat a little bit, and I'd love to find a better way to do it, but uh, it's done. It's together. It's glued together. It's not going to fall apart, and uh, I'm glad to see that one come to a close. You know, cool. not that anybody's asking, but I, I never have a problem with sweating. I'm sweating right now, and well, I have a taco fan on sweat. me. It's <laughs> a different kind of sweat. It smells like cilantro, too. So, No, well, the uh, hamper it looks absolutely gorgeous. I was looking yeah. at it, and I immediately – this was another scenario where I was opening up my iPad first thing in the morning. Sam rolls over, and I immediately <laughs> close it so that there will be no, hey, you should make one of those, too. And so then she goes, like, oh. she goes, what's her name? Yeah, she gets <laughs> well, she is hideous. <laughs> she <laughs> sounds hideous. You guys see that commercial? It's funny. I love Khakis. that commercial. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so it's done. And you know, I'm pleasantly surprised by the responses every time I post a picture. This is probably the first thing I've ever made. I won't say it's universally liked, but there are more than usual uh, number of people saying that they they like the way it looks. Um, which I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing because usually I, I I like to have. If I design it, I like to have things that polarize people. Um, like some people love it and other people are like, meh, not for me. Uh, so when someone like, like everybody likes vanilla, you know, and vanilla is boring. So I, I was like, did I miss the mark on this? Is it, because is it boring? But Which, what you needed to do was paint it at the end. Oh, I should have painted it. <laughs> or just put well, stickers all over it. Well, I've got Anything a lot of to sti- cover up the weave. I've got a lot of podcaster uh, or YouTuber stickers <laughs> now. You so maybe maybe that's what we'll do with them. Well, you know, I gotta do. say, I'm really looking forward to seeing this video. I can't wait to see you put it out because yeah. it, it's totally different. So mm-hmm. it'll be a, it'll be a refreshing change from, you know, it's only it's hard to, to to show stuff that's different in the woodworking world. So I'm excited. And I feel like I stumbled upon it. This was I didn't set out to go like I'm gonna do something unique today. You know, <laughs> like it's just <laughs> I mean I was influenced by something a few things I saw online and was like, well, how can I replicate that? you know, using thicker wood and actually make it a little bit more substantial of a panel and boom, there it is. So, uh, that should hopefully be out next week, uh, the video, but taking me a while to edit it down. Uh, you know, if, if you do want to cause some polarization in there, perhaps maybe, um, rather than knitting the bag that's inside of it, I know you already have a bag in place there. Maybe you could get some sort of like weavers and then we could have like the weavers against the knitters. And then that's going to create a <laughs> whole other strife within the maker community. Yeah. Anything for controversy, you know, we'll yes. do, do what we have to do. Uh, Firstly, I'm hoping that since it's a clothes hamper that the, the negligee is going to come back. And maybe the blonde wig. I kind of retired them. You know, I did it (laughs) once and I'm uh, pretty sure not going to do that again. (laughs) Is it because you're starting to get dad body? Is that what it is? Uh, No, no, I've I've had that for a while prior to having kids, actually. Uh, You know, that whole thing that talk about polarizing that although the polarization was about like 80, 20, like 80% hated it. And 20% were like, Oh, okay. That's kind of funny. You, know, so. you suddenly got a, a, a whole new community came in there. Suddenly you're looking at your numbers. You're like, where did that one come from? Why yeah. is it coming from the Castro district? My Twitter followers were all Look at like, all this South beach traffic. Yeah, right. it, was, right. it was pretty rough, but anyway, Shannon, what about you? What's going on? Um, I am, uh, I'm getting ready to head to the main home um, to finally finish up that dining table. And I, I got to admit, I am nervous. I have not like built something and then like left it alone for a year mm. and then come back. And granted, the breadboard ends were attached, so th- they're supposed to do their job, right? 
But theoretically, right? <laughs> will I be able to get them off in order to draw bore them and peg them back in place? I don't know. Is it the like same? If I take the breadboard off, what's going to happen? Is it the same know? time of year as yes, when you built yes. it? Yes. Okay. That, in the back of my mind, I kept thinking that. But then there's the other thing. And fortunately, I did film like the whole build. So I'm planning on filming the final steps. Okay. And one of the things that I'm grateful for um, that I do all this filming is it really keeps me organized. So as I was kind of putting together a story board for what shots and everything I wanted to get. I was like, oh, right. Block plane. Better make sure I bring that. Oh, right. Saw to saw the breadboards flush. Better make <laughs> sure I bring that. And it, it like my initial list of stuff I needed to take tool wise was like half of what it actually needed to be. <laughs> so I'm really nervous that I'm going to get up there and suddenly realize, damn it, <laughs> I don't have the tool to do this. Yeah. And there's really not a lot of, uh, well, there is Lee Nielsen that's 45 minutes north of me. So I suppose it can't be that bad, no. but that would be an awful expensive mistake yeah. to make. Oh, I forgot a chisel. All right. You know, but I mean, there really, there really isn't anything else. There's a hardware store in town and it's like, you know, actually it's called Grover's Corners Hardware. Um, but it, they have like screws, <laughs> <laughs> screws and some like, inner tube patch kits get yourself a, get yourself a screwdriver and a grinding wheel in your set <laughs> there we go i was just thinking that that would work perfectly <laughs> you know what would be really funny is if you had maybe you've already done this and you're going to surprise us in the video uh when you left off last year you did a little excerpt of yourself talking to future self and then now future self can get there and previous self can actually be chastising a future self for not getting the job done faster mm, i like that that's a good <laughs> okay. idea so, so that we'll we'll go with that somehow. <laughs> the miracle of editing. I'm sure I've got some blooper reel from the uh, from last year that could be fed back in there. There you go. One thing I do want to know is so obviously you're going to get into the position where you're going to take a look at this and say, oh, this turned out not so bad, or oh, this is really uh, I've got some work on this. Are you immediately? going to let the internet know what happened or is this going to be like a cliffhanger at the end of this episode to find out when we return from vacation dun, dun, dun. how did the table turn out at the main home uh there'll probably be some posts along the way but uh you know just because i just can't contain myself <laughs> you know actually one thing i'm really excited about with this table is originally the customer was very you know they wanted it uh, rustic and distressed and everything. And I've actually been looking into distressing techniques and it all just looks dumb. Um, unless you, you really put a lot of work and a lot of time into getting it just right. So I started this campaign, I guess about Monday of this week, uh, emailing photographs to my client saying, you know, um, are you sure you want to do this distressing? And I sent her like a picture of one that looked really bad. Like, you know, this looks terrible. And then I sent her a picture of a table that I built that was like all shiny new and not meant to be distressed. Uh, this drop leaf table I made in the hand tool school saying, this is basically the finish that I'm looking at right now. Like, this is what I could do for you. Or do you want to do this? And then like the next day I sent her another picture of a poorly distressed piece. And, um, I won. <laughs> She's like, you know what? You're right. I really like the newer look to it. And it would be a shame to kind of mess it up so much. So thank God. Nice. Because I was really concerned. I mean, I used number two common walnut to begin with. So it's, it's kind of rustic already just because there's some sound tight knots and stuff in there. Mm -hmm. But the thought of having to go up there and like poke wormholes in it and like, you know, shave off parts of the, the trestle and, you know, just get sloppy with a sander just really bugged me <laughs> the amount of time that's been spent on this i even hand planed the top 
So basically I'd have to go up and like ruin everything that I've already done. <laughs> so she, she came around, actually I got the email this morning and I was just like, okay, I'm going to print this and send her all these different copies so that she has it in her own words that she doesn't want me to do this. So it yes. also is going to save me a boatload of time. Think yes. about it, you yeah. know, not having to, cause it, most of these distressing things require some sort of dye or stain or glaze or something to make some of those things pop. I don't have to do any of that now. I can just do my normal finish prep and wipe on the coat and in between stuff and be done. I don't know about you guys. I find the process of trying to do something that is meant to appear random. It, it like comes out anything but random. Yeah. You know, exactly. so when you're trying to put the little pinholes and you're like smacking it with a chain or hitting it with a hammer, like trying to generate a random pattern. I just, I have a real hard time with that. So that would be really frustrating to do. The, the harder I try to be asymmetrical and random, the more symmetrical and non-random I become. <laughs> right. Suddenly you're like spelling out your name. Oh man. I, 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 I hit it with a chain three times on this side. Now I'm going to do it three times. Oh wait, no, maybe I should do one and a half. No, I'll do it three. And then I'll come back and I'll add a fourth one. Yeah. So I'm looking at the notes here. Am I the only one who's not packing up and heading out of town, Matt? What's going on here? Yeah, that's uh, I think you are. And that was uh, designed for a particular reason. Okay. Um, we didn't want you following us. Oh, good, good. Yeah. Yeah, fair I talk will just be Mark. <laughs> right, exactly. The rest of us will be up north someplace else from where we currently are. So you don't really don't have to go very far. You can just go just a pinch further. But yeah, I am heading out for a very long weekend. Uh, we were originally going to go camping in tents, and then all of our friends went, um, no. So apparently we have a cabin that we're going to be staying at, um, and it is definitely going to be kicking back. I'm thinking just like the last time we went away and stayed with friends at a cabin, I might end up maybe attempting to carve something once again in the woods or I just might really kick back in the hammock and dream of carving something out in the woods. Hmm. It sounds like it's time for some metal to slap some wood. (laughs) (laughs) One way or the other, preferably. (laughs) Nice. Not the way that suddenly went into my head. But I think before we go, I have have one day before we're actually going to head out and – and that for that one day, I'm already going to start heading into vacation mode. And I'm going to once again hit the lathe. And I have a couple of more, I think, of bottle openers that I'm going to end up turning. I'll probably take one with us for a friend that's actually getting the cabin for us. So it'll be like one of those, hmm. hey, thanks for getting the cabin. Here's a bottle opener. That covers us, right? We're even for the whole weekend. <laughs> <laughs> nice. They were like, uh, Here's the no. bottle opener. Now wear some beer so I can open it with it. Exactly. <laughs> Very cool. All right. Let's move into what's new. Uh, we had a link here sent to us from Preston. He says, my wife ran across this picture of a very unique dresser on Pinterest. Had to share it with you guys. And it is a hand grenade dresser. <laughs> and it really is a dresser that is shaped like a hand grenade. Would you say that the uh, the, the wood grain on this really pops? I would say uh, so. Yes. Yeah, uh, and you know how like a uh, boom when you walk into the room. Like, yeah, it's the de- very, very explosive. Yeah. And you look yeah. at the detail on a grenade and it kind of has that just like, well, how would you describe it? The little bumps on it that give it the, the texture. Look. Yeah, the exactly. So, so each one of those little bumps is a drawer front that just wow. lines the whole thing. It's pretty weird. I didn't Holy notice. Cow. in the de- Yeah. The, the image just loaded. Wow. That's impressive. It, does, it, does it actually have a pin that you can pull? And in that case, do all the drawers <laughs> pop open at once? You know, there is no pin. There should be a giant pin on there. That would be yeah, fantastic. Yeah. That should that should be like a locking mechanism. Right. right? I was like, going to say, know, that's the lock. And then everything just goes, <laughs> all the drawers pop out. Oh, that'd be right. great. They well, either way, outward. it's one of those projects that you ask yourself why, but at the same time, you're glad that someone did. Yes. Because it's very cool. Uh, And that's all we have for what's new. So let's get into our poll of the week. And last week we asked, do you have enough clamps? 
And uh, you know what? I should probably go and I've put this on Facebook today, so I know the numbers probably went up a little bit. Uh, I doubt that they changed very much. Let me see here. View results. I like doing this live on the show because everyone loves that. Yeah, All look right. at those numbers. They did, Wait, oh. they did change a little bit. A few hundred more people jumped in. So 38% said enough clamps? Never! Uh, 33, almost 34% said I'm woefully deficient in that department. And 26% said I have a decent collection. And then around one or less than 1% were the folks who said I don't use clamps or I'm totally flush with them. So either uh, it looks like everything's right in the middle. Those flush like flush flush clamps, fancy like flush clamps. Yeah, there. maybe. I think we established that means that they have plenty of them, but I don't know what woodworker in the right mind would ever say that they have enough of them. Yeah, well, twenty five, twenty six percent that I have a decent collection, and that's that's borderline to saying you have enough. Well, you know, and the thing is that actually came down from the last percentages you had in there. So I don't know when the show notes that we have here, when you put those in, but originally you put it in at 30%. So apparently not enough of those people are saying <laughs> I have a decent amount. There you go. Or maybe uh, someone came to their own, the right mind and went back in and changed right. that. They're like, uh, you know, I'm woefully deficient. I used to think I had enough clamps and then I built a bed and it was over. It's like, all, I need more clamps. All it takes is that one project, you know, and it, yeah. it, like it could be anything, but that requires a bunch of clamps or more of a, a particular size that you don't have enough of. And you're like, darn it. I, I actually had to get pretty creative in the blanket chest I'm building right now because of all the panel glue ups. Um, mm. I, I had to <laughs> substitute a few extra clamps that I don't think I've used and like were frozen shut with glue. You know, like <laughs> those first clamps you bought when you started woodworking, the really like cheapo ones Yeah, that I haven't had the heart to get rid of, but I also haven't used them in probably a decade. They got pulled out and they had to like beat them apart with a hammer to get the dry glue off. But yeah, they got used. Do it's, what you got to do. P- panel glue ups will test you. Yes, they will. All right, let's move into our kickback. These came directly from woodtalkshow.com. So if you comment there, you should know we might be using your comments for show content. I don't know. Should we disclose that on a site somewhere? Heck no. (laughs) It seems like that should be implied, but somebody's going to zing us one of these days. But until then, let's keep using it. Let's do it. Website comments are the wild west of the internet. That they are. (laughs) Uh, All right, let's go to Grant's comment. He says, I'm thinking Matt is probably fed up with the CNC at this point, but a better alternative to the X-Carve would be the Shapeco 2. Is that what is it? Sh- sh- Shapeoko? Shapeoko. Shapeoko yeah, 2. That's what I'm going with. Interesting. That's if what's I'm not, in my head too. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, it's made by Inventables and retails for about $600. It's a much more developed design and it's about two feet square. So you can make larger parts and carvings. Yes. Yes. Mm. And for certain, it is made by Inventables. So okay, cool. if anybody was wondering about that. Uh, let's see. This Wait, next one two came feet in. square is larger than the That the sounds smaller. carve how big well, was the X-Carve? So there, there's two versions of the X-Carve. Uh, it's in uh, one's like 500 me- millimeters by 500 millimeters. I don't think that's right. Yeah. What's that in English? Then, uh, uh, <laughs> not 500. That's for certain. <laughs> and then the other one, the one I have is uh, 1,000 by 1,000 millimeters. So that's like three feet by three feet, basically. Oh, so, okay. yeah. Okay. Yeah, so like the, say, one I, is, it looked bigger than that. And if he's saying two feet square so you can make larger parts. Huh. Maybe right. larger box parts. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the smaller one is two feet square. Whatever. Okay. For those of you who are on the metric system and, and laughing at us right now as we're trying to figure this out, thank you. Yes. Thank you for doing that for us. There you go. 
It's like Sweet. 35 millimeters in an inch, right? Or 25 millimeters in an okay, inch. Okay, while you're working on that, I'm going to share Chet's kickback, which is, <laughs> Matt, you are right on with your comments about the X-Carve. Boom. Lots of people are having issues with the belt staying tensioned, and if they if they don't stay precisely tensioned, you're... Which is... I think you get the idea there. If I could count on it working perfectly 90% of the time, I'd use it to make templates. For me, the X-Carve doesn't work right 50% of the time. It's just one expensive mistake, Mm. a tough lesson learned. Man, you know, right before the show, I was just cruising Facebook and saw someone, I won't name names, but they expressed frustration with the X-Carve as well. Totally different party. I've never actually spoken to the person, but I'm friends for some reason with them on Facebook. Uh, Mm. But same thing. And I'm like, man... I really want to start hearing positive stories about it to find right. it. Like, starting to feel bad now. It's well, it's getting right. it's getting a little bit crazy. I mean, obviously right. the machine is is a little bit of like a self service DIY thing, but um, it's kind of. I mean, they they really spread these things around. And mm-hmm. is it because a lot of these people don't have enough know how to make it work, or is it really something fundamentally wrong with it? You know, based on the parts that are in the kit. Right. What I'm hearing is specifically with Chet, and then I'm wondering if the individual uh, that that you saw it with, and for myself, it's it's those tensioning belts. Yeah. That is exactly what the issue is. This thing would have been my machine would have not have run into an issue if the one tensioning belt had come untensioned, and that's why it came up short. Literally came up short of the cut it was going to make, and was just like, oh boy, burned out the motor on that Mm-mm-mm. spindle. But if it had been able to make the cut like it was supposed to, like uh, traveling that distance, it would have been perfectly fine. But yeah, the belt seems to be the the, the main issue. So perhaps if they can come up with a nice sturdier belt, mm-hmm. which I always need nice sturdier belts with my pants. <laughs> it only makes sense. Why yeah. not have a nice sturdy belt on your CNC? And then maybe, maybe some of the issues that at least that I've heard uh, might clear up. Okay. Well, so all, all Inventables has to do is just come out and say it was a beta test. You know, Thank didn't you. we tell you that? Didn't we tell you it was a beta test? Thanks oh, for helping us, suckers. Yeah, right. appreciate that. Here's the new and improved ready for market version. There you go. Uh, now we have dollars more. We have one more thing here for kickback. This is a voicemail kickback from David, and it is about CNC. And I promise this is going to be the last we're going to talk about CNC for a while. Until our robot overlords take over the show. Yeah, and then we have no all choice. CNC all the time. CNC and lasers. Hail Skynet. There you go. It's not going to be something where he does uh, everybody dance now, is it? Mm, no. <laughs> Hey guys, this is David calling from Northern Michigan. Just wanted to weigh in on episode 263 on whether or not using a CNC machine is cheating. I tend to agree with the group uh, in the sense that there isn't really cheating, it's just like using a shortcut. But I think by using too many shortcuts, you change the skill that you're demonstrating. For example, somebody who works the same way that Shannon works, with exclusively hand tools, is demonstrating a lot of skill in being able to shape a piece of wood into the perfect size Damn and make right. sure that the project gets finished. Somebody like who uses a, a CNC machine, who uses a machine to get the same result, isn't demonstrating much skill in the woodworking area. They're demonstrating a skill in mass production, right? So if you're if you're using some of the quote unquote old ways of just using hand tools, then the skill I would say that you're demonstrating with each piece that you make is a skill of craftsmanship, uh, even even artistic skill. But the more shortcuts you use. And the more machines that you use to eliminate your need for skill, I think you're just demonstrating a skill of production rather than creation or fabrication or artistic. So that's my that's my take on it. I was hoping you'd uh, hear some feedback from you guys. As always, keep doing a great show. I really enjoy listening. Thanks very much for covering this topic. Cool. Thanks, David. And we will not give any feedback on that only because I think we've <laughs> right. beat this horse to death you're several wrong. times. You're so. wrong, David. 
we'll let which, David have the, the final word on that. <laughs> All right. So moving into our voicemail proper here, we have, um, let's see, we've got one from Ryan who is trying to attach felt to a table, a gaming table felt and has a question about the glue. Hey guys, this is Ryan in Baltimore. I'm a real big fan of the show. Enjoy listening to it. Now, you know, what's funny, but <laughs> just before we started recording and I didn't realize this and I, I actually capture this audio. So I should have known we were talking about how there was another voicemail from another person from Michigan. And I'm like, geez, didn't we get calls from anybody else, but Michigan people. And then I made the joke that no one's going to call from Baltimore. And Chad right. was like, yeah, no one's going to call from Maryland. I didn't realize that this call from Ryan is he's from Baltimore. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> oh geez! All right. Well, here we go. Let's finish this one out. <laughs> I enjoy listening to it uh, twice a week. Uh, I got a quick question. If you had any suggestions, I am currently building a card table, a nice gaming table that I want to do a felt top on. It's going to have an oak base underneath of it, and I wondered if you had any suggestions for what would be the best adhesive to glue the felt to the oak that wouldn't bleed through, that would give me the best life for holding on for as long as possible or any other suggestions you have on that. Uh, thanks very much. Appreciate it. Love the show. Bye. Now this is particularly interesting to me because I'm going to need to do this very soon. I've got the gaming table coming up, uh, which is basically a dining table that doubles as a gaming table surface. So I will have to do this quite extensively on that project. And I haven't done a a great deal of research on the various techniques. Uh, but my first instinct is to think about maybe a spray adhesive, so something like the, I think 3M makes a couple different ones, the one different levels of like tackiness to them. And it basically works like rubber cement, but it's easier to spread because you're applying it by spray. So you would put some on the substrate, you'd put some on the felt material and the real trick is laying it down properly because once it sticks, it kind of doesn't want to let go. So you may be best off trying to spread that felt out and then bringing the the hard surface, the substrate down and flip it upside down on top of that felt surface. That might be a decent way to go about it. Uh, but I, what do you have? You guys have any experience with this that we could offer in the I, solution? <clears throat> well, first of all, um, oh shoot, Ryan was it? Yeah, Ryan, Ryan. Yes. Um, I would urge you to post this question over on the SAPFM forum, the Society of American Period Furniture Makers, because or email somebody like Chuck Bender too, who has done a lot of drop leaf tables. Um, they used a lot of leather in period, but they also used felt to some extent. So there might be some actual people who know what they're talking about. But I did this once years and years and years ago for a pool table, mm-hmm. um, and didn't actually glue the top side. We ran, and it was a spray adhesive, like Mark suggested. Uh, actually, it was contact cement, so it wasn't spray. It was the brush on, mm-hmm. let it let it tack up, and then it was like instant bond stuff. Um, we ran it around the perimeter of the underside of the slate, oh. and then stretched it, and wrapped and then it like upholstery on the other side. Um, and the, the the philosophy there, what we were explained was, you know, felt you can rip felt like if the cue goes awry or whatever, and it drags across the felt and you actually want it to rip so that it's easier to replace. You do, you want to leave that surface as, um, uh, untouched as possible mm-hmm. because there's always the chance of like catching air bubbles or having little ripples and things because excess moisture or whatever in the, in the adhesive. So all the adhesive goes on the underside. So, See, that can be a little difficult, but for the most part, felt tops are always captured by a frame, aren't they? 
I don't think it might. I mean, for instance, on the gaming table I'm doing, we're we have reversible top sections. So as you know, the top is made up of like maybe four or five boards, and you could flip them over. There will be a felt side on the back end. It won't be captured at all. So I don't know what his situation mm-hmm. is, but I'll definitely have something where using adhesive on the face side, the usable side, is going to be essential for me to succeed with yeah. that. <clears throat> I mean, with a with a contact cement like that and a good like pressure roller yeah i think you could avoid a lot of those air bubbles and things like that but um i do know that there's a lot of instances where you've got writing surfaces like that where it's actually stretched Mm -hmm. into place um okay in in like a floating panel type setup well cool that'd be a good way to do it hopefully that'll work for him all right so we need to talk a little bit about our sponsor saw stop and they make great products matt has one of their saws and has been using it for a long time but we try to keep these uh you know, it's an ad, it's an advertisement, but we want to keep it interesting and informative for you. So one thing that I thought would be interesting for us to talk about is one of the new accessories that they came up with in the last, I don't know, year or year and a half or so. Uh, and that's their sliding crosscut table. Mm-hmm. Um, so, Shannon, this is something that I know we've talked offline about this and you haven't had much experience with one. So yeah. you've got I, some I questions. Want, I want some sliding table 101. Uh, <laughs> you know, obviously they've been around for a while. Everybody used to talk about how the European machines like Felder and things like that had yeah. these great sliding tables and how cool it was. And then I think I kind of went down the hand tool world and never even thought about it again. What's the big deal? About a sliding table. Why is that? Like, What's how the is deal? that any different? With What's the tables? deal with sliding tables? <laughs> um, how is that any different from like a crosscut sled? Well, the difference primarily comes in the fact that it's sort of built in, you know, so it's the difference between making a jig or having that sort of uh, thing built into the tool. So it's it's like an attachment onto it that's a lot more you know, the adjustments are a little bit more dependable. The The thing is better built. It's a lot less likely to go out of calibration. Uh, and it's something that you just incorporate to the system that's already there. Whereas the crosscut sled is obviously something you're building out of wood. Uh, you know, well, I guess you could, if you wanted to take like aluminum parts and metal parts, but most of the time it's built from wood. You had stock. an X carve that you could use to fabricate. <laughs> you had one that worked. Uh, yeah. uh, you know, so you're making it yourself and they tend to go out of calibration and you know, you're limited to what you can do with it because a lot of times you're making, a square fence. Well, great. Now you got 90 down, but what about 45s? So, you know, and other, other angles. So the cross cut, uh, attachment idea is you're not only able to do 90, but, uh, angles all over the place. Now there specifically goes 60 degrees in both directions and it can handle a four by eight sheet of plywood. There aren't many cross cut sleds that can do that. Uh, think about even if you had one, let's say you tried to make it that big, you're pulling it back toward you. You've got no infeed support for something mm-hmm. like that. That's a good point. Capacity is a big deal. Though. Major, oh, yeah. yeah, major difference in capacity here. Um, so the the genius behind them is that it's just going to make things so much easier, so much more efficient. And because it's usually on some sort of ball bearing system. So instead of the friction of runners in your miter slots, you've got this thing that's just smooth as silk as you push it through the cut, uh, which makes a, a better quality cut as you're you're doing it as well, which is always a concern with something like plywood. You know, so overall, it's got a just a number of advantages that give you better results, and uh, you know, usually have a much longer fence and higher capacity. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, it also is something that I think would, you know, potentially replace uh, some of the uses you might use a miter saw for. 
or a sliding compound miter saw. I do a lot of my cross cutting there, but if I had a sliding table, I don't think I would need to do that anymore. I'd had a locked in dead 90 cuts with a stop, you know, that I'll be able to, to make repetitive cuts with. Um, so I'll tell you what, I actually went to our local woodworker source and they've got a little tool display there right in the middle of the floor was the saw stop. And it's been there for a while. So I haven't, you know, wasn't thinking about it and I was waiting uh, to pay for some wood that I purchased, but then I saw the slider sitting there. So I walked up and I'm like, you know, when you go up to something, you, you could just tell it was built like better than other things you've seen on the market. Like the <laughs> knobs are beefy. Everything is just oversized. And I ran up to it and I just kind of put my finger on it and pushed it forward. And it just went whoosh and just, it didn't really require any effort at all to run. Right. And I'm just like, ooh. So I was one of those morons that sits there, you know, pl- moving the uh, sliding table <laughs> sliding back, and back and forth. Look at me. And, and then there's probably somebody in the back going, yep, we just got another one. Go ahead and check that one out there, Clef. <laughs> yeah, and, uh, yeah, exactly. So I was really impressed with the build quality. Uh, and a lot of times I've seen little attachments like that, but you can kind of, you take it and you move it around, especially a store d- display because they may not necessarily be calibrated perfectly. Um, but I don't know whether this one was or wasn't. It was just sitting there, but I moved moved things around and tried to look for how much slop was in it, how much play there was. And this thing was rock solid and ready to go. So I was really impressed with it. And that's why I came back and said, you know, first of all, I wanted to find out if Matt had one. And secondly, as a saw stop owner, if he thought this was something that, that he would in the future, maybe add to, uh, to his little rig there. Oh, for certain. I've been looking at this one for a long time now. And the funny thing is when the, this first hit the market, uh, SawStop originally contacted me and said, hey, we've got this coming out. Don't tell anybody about it yet. So it was really hard not to share it with you guys originally. But the funny thing is shortly afterwards, about the same time it was supposed to go live, they contacted me and said, you know, the uh, sliding crosscut table that we talked about, it is so popular. We're having trouble actually getting uh, numbers into the stores to, one, be able to have the demos, but mm-hmm. more importantly for people to get them. So while we'd like to get one in your hands to try out, you're going to have to wait for other people who actually bought them and who are going to be huh. using them because More these important people, people really, really want them and we want to oblige them. So yeah. good for that because they're uh, taking care of the customer, but sad for me because I really wanted to play with one. Yeah. Well, I've you know, had what a- I wonder, is it only work on saw-stop saws or like if you have a Delta or a Powermatic, can you, is this an aftermarket upgrade? Well, it's a good thing. To, that's a good question. I noticed in their literature and what they were talking about, this works with all the versions of the saw stop. So it doesn't matter whether you have uh, the, the smaller version or the pro version. It fits all of their saws according to what they have on here. And I'd be really curious to know if it would work with another one. That would be that would be a lot of fun to see that on certain saws, have the saw stop right next to the other one and going, hmm. I watched a 2014 video from Woodworkers Journal where they were previewing this. I think it was at AWFS. And they did say that you can put it on, on, on other saws. And I think you might just have to redrill the whole pattern. But they then said that we would hope that you would soon, it wouldn't be long after that, that you would be buying your saw stop. So <laughs> it fits on all other saws except posh. And yeah, then, right. you know, then I think, it doesn't work. So I think if you take the left extension wing off and you will, and from what I understand, even saw stop owners who install this after the fact and they already have their saw stop, they will actually have to cut the rails 
the guide correct. rails in order to install it. Uh, That's and I, correct. And, and you would have to do that same thing on any other brand saw if you were to install it there as well. But yeah. it does look I, like I you can put it. I had to do the it. same thing with my Delta when I added in new extension wings because it came with the stamped steel ones. Yep. And I bought cast iron. I had to redrill the the guide rail. I don't. I think that's pretty common. Yeah. Exactly. So so it'll be you know interesting interesting to see how easy it is to install. I don't know. Uh, right. But man, you get one with that set up on it right away. It just the thing just looks like it's built like a tank for for an add on. Uh, I mean, because the thing is, these sliders I've used a couple of the Euro sliders. William Ng has one at his school, and those things are just like it's one of those tools you could put a nickel on the surface and move it, and it's just not going to budge. Like right. it's, it's it's that heavy and that secure. Because again, you're putting four by eight sheets on this thing. So as mm-hmm. I understand it, the the video I watched, the guy was like, "Look, if you're if you're in a production facility and you're cutting four by eight sheets every day." This might not be your ideal tool. The point is it's very versatile. It can do that, but it's not something you're going to want to do, you know, uh, 10 times a day on it. Uh, right. You know, there are other tools out there that are a little bit better suited for that uh, extreme capacity situation. But for, for what folks like us usually do, you know, that 4x8 cut is going to be few and far between. Most things are going to be on a more manageable size anyway. Right. One thing I do like about this, taking a look at the gallery and the videos and everything they have over at SawStop.com, is uh, you'll notice when this is pushed into it, its uh, final position, when it's up against the saw, they actually manufactured it so it's 100% flush with the front rail. So there's no concern about – because I know I would do this. If I was not using the uh, crosscut uh, – sliding table thingy i would turn to the side and i'd probably walk right into it and have bruised <laughs> hips constantly <laughs> don't but they've designed it so that you don't have to worry about that so there on the front side where you're going to be pushing your stock through it is flush up against the rail and the other thing that i really kind of find funny about this is they've always told me one of the number one reasons why the saw stop has fired off is because somebody accidentally was using a uh, aluminum miter gauge system and nicked their blade with the aluminum rail and they actually have built into this certain steps right on uh, – in fact, it looks like they're kind of like powder-coated or something. They're, they're really easy to see that depending on which saw stop you have, which saw you have, you can gauge this so that the fence will get – I think they refer to it as uh, – um, as, as Location friendly as possible to make sure that you get full uh, support with the miter gauge, but you're not going to nick your blade. So they've already thought about that. They're like, we know that you're probably going to get close. Here, yeah. follow these marks, and you're going to be safe. I think I'm lo- looking hmm. at the picture. I think I see them right now. It says easily adjust the proximity of fence to the blade. There you go. Which yes, is kind of a nice precautionary measure. Yes, definitely. Well, it looks good. And I suggest if you're in the market for a table saw, you take a look at this. Head to SawStop's website at SawStop.com. And like they say, build and price your ideal saw stop. Put together your little kit. Add that uh, that that sliding uh, table thingy, but bobber, cross-cut slider <laughs> thing. <laughs> what is it officially called? <laughs> the sliding cross-cut sliding table, table, I think I is what they call it. There you go. Once I get past sliding, I can't – it's sliding. It's, it's a sliding table. It's just all words. It's late in the day. It's also confusing to me. <laughs> I just uh, think saw stop looks like Darth Vader, and it's cool. Which is what makes it cool, right? Yeah. I mean, yes. you got to love the color scheme. Uh, anyway, head to sawstop.com. Check it out. And if you don't have a saw stop, definitely look into possibly adding this because a, a slider is a real – nice attachment for any table saw all right thanks very much saw stop and let's get into our email and uh, i'll take the first one here from cameron he says i have a single garage sized workshop with a hybrid woodworking style nothing like mark's huge shop more like matt's style 
When I first started woodworking about a year ago, my first project was a large, unique lounge chair for Mother's Day. I used three sub-assemblies, two for the legs and armrests, one seat, and then joined them with one-inch dowel-exposed pins. It was really difficult and stressful, and because the holes didn't line up, very frustrating. I have a commission coming, which I think is going to be a lot of chairs, and I'm worried that it will be more stress and not worth the payment. Am I right in thinking that chairs are the most frustrating thing for a woodworker to make, or did I just start by making one that was maybe too difficult for my skill level at the time? All right, well, first and foremost, in general, I do feel that chairs are a fairly advanced project. It's something that is a little bit tricky for a beginner to do. It's something that now, uh, you know, what, 10, 12 years, uh, probably 12, 14 years into my woodworking, I'm just now starting to get brave enough to tackle certain chairs that I would not have touched uh, prior to this point because they can get very complicated, but it is really design dependent. There are some basic mission style chairs out there that are just mortise and tenons, mostly square parts, any curves that you need to do. You can kind of 90 degree angles and 90 degree angles. You can cut those curves uh, after the joinery is cut, which is one of those things that that screws people up. If you have a curve and then you have to cut a mortise or a tenon, uh, that can be a little bit trying. Um, But you know, the thing is it's, it just depends on the design of the chair. So if you're, I don't know what they're requesting. You can't, you might not be able to dictate a style to them, but you really just need to look at how many angles are involved. What kind of, uh, you know, tricky joinery issues are there going to be and decide whether you want to tackle that. Uh, now, one thing that's a little bit like a, a little bit of a red flag for me is he describes uh, holes not lining up during the glue up. Well, yeah, that's stressful. My question is, why didn't you know that prior to that point? If you're if you're using Ooh, burn, no, 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 that wasn't a burn. That was <laughs> oh, an, an a, encouraging yeah. reprimand. There's a difference. Um, <laughs> like you know, you do a dry assembly on these things. You should know if it's going to line up or not before you put the glue on there because that just adds to the stress factor. If you don't know that that those pieces are going to go together securely, that's, that's an X factor you don't want to have to deal with. Um, so just make sure you're doing these sub assemblies, make sure you're doing lots of dry assemblies and also run throughs with the entire clamping procedure. Uh, that, that goes for any piece of furniture. It's a good idea to have those clamps there, prove that this is doable without glue easily so that when the glue is on it, it's something that doesn't turn into a disaster. Cause as you know, the glue gets on these joints, uh, the, the fibers start to swell and everything that was snug before is now downright tight. Uh, so it's got to fit dry before you could put glue on it and expect it to fit. You know, that makes me think of something. Uh, I have actually had conversations with people who say that they don't like to do dry runs and, and attempt to see how everything's going to come together because they like their joints to be as tight as possible and they're afraid they're going to loosen things up and compress <laughs> the fibers. And I always give them the stare that I give uh, my mother-in-law when she's trying to convince me that I'm wrong. Uh, it's just, it's one of the, I, I'm sorry, but no, no, no. <laughs> Uh, no. Maybe in like some some exposed joinery situation, perhaps you might be a little bit cautious with that. But most of the time, you know, the wood's going to be OK. I mean, don't yeah. go assemble it and take it apart 20 times right. and, you know, beat the heck out of it with a mallet. Right. But let's be real. You know, I mean, if, if it's happening after one fitting, then you might want to rethink how well that joint fits to begin with. You might want right. to stop using balsa wood. Yeah, there you go. Or buy a CNC and then you don't have to dry fit, right? That really is the moral to the story of anything now is just buy a CNC. Now, one thing that I've heard and the only chairs that I have built um, to date are all of the Windsor style and it's kind of entirely different and I think very stress-free style of building. But I've got several. Um, well, wait a second. On, stress. Know, it's only stress free if you have someone guiding you through it and you have good instructions. Try doing that on your own. 
with right. with no one with experience to tell you like you were That's saying true. about the different wood species and why they work well what if someone says well i'm just going to use poplar for everything yeah that's a good point you know All what right. i mean like that can be that's a complicated chair but one of the things when you're talking about um and, and i'll say non-windsor styles because it is a very different seat plank drill holes things go into that central seat mm-hmm. on the more frame style chairs where there are mortise and tenons and things like that that have kind of trapezoid shapes most of the folks I know that do a lot of that, they make full size drawings and rely upon that full size drawing to capture an angle and mm. then don't touch the bevel gauge. Right. Lock you know? it in. <laughs> um, and, and yes, you, you say, well, how am I making sure that I'm capturing that angle correctly off the drawing? That's the engineer who wants to know, have I got it to the tenth or the hundredth of a degree? doesn't matter mm-hmm. as long as you capture that angle and don't adjust it. And a full size drawing is going to get you really, really close. So especially when you've got those trapezoidal seat shapes and things, and they're very common because that's how we as humans work, you know, Our butts <laughs> Try are sitting big. with your legs, your thighs <laughs> perfectly parallel to your butt. It doesn't work. I do that all um, the time. So I'm it, doing, I'm it, doing it right now, actually. All right. Show off <laughs> full size drawing. Try that. And I think once you've got the full size drawing, I think it'll make multiple chairs. Like if you, if you do in fact, um, Cameron have to make uh, a bunch of the same chair, I think you'll find that that will be a lifesaver for you. Word. All right, Word. Matt, you're up. Nice. All right. Well, this one came in from John and John says, I recently took on Mark's end grain cutting board project. You know, Mark, I have yet to build one of those. (laughs) Me either. Well, maybe you can make (laughs) me one. (laughs) Oh, okay. Sure. I'll give you mine. So anyways, I'm I'm working with hard maple and Hatoba and I'm having a blast. Since I do not yet have a joiner, I tried to get the best cuts I could off of my table saw and went straight and then went straight to glue up. I used a router sled to flatten the board and then began sanding. It was when I began sanding that I noticed a few small, almost hairline gaps in some of my joints. So finally to my question, what can I use to fill these gaps? They are barely noticeable, but with this being a cutting board and knowing that it will be exposed to moisture, I'm worried about the longevity of the board. So immediately my first thought was, uh, why worry about it? But I get it. I totally get it. I mean, I don't want to have a bunch of little nooks and crannies that things are going to fall into and and whatever is being cut on this, uh, fungus, bacteria, all that good stuff growing on there. My first thought with filling these gaps, and this is probably exactly the one I'm going to stick with, is just using some sort of food-safe epoxy. Uh, that seems to be one of those items that would work perfectly fine with the scenarios where if you work it into these little cracks you have here, although I'm really kind of curious how you're going to do that. Maybe you could blow on a straw to force it into those cracks or something uh, and and do that. I think you'll, one, have the uh, answer that you're looking for because the epoxy is going to fill that all in and you won't have to worry about it. And two, uh, the epoxy is really going to hold up to quite a bit of the uh, hopefully good times you're going to be having on the cutting board with whatever you're going to be making with it. So that is my answer. Go ahead and you can check. There are all sorts of FDA approved epoxies for food contact. Uh, so just take a look at the backside of the container. I was looking at some Gorilla Glue epoxy I have on there. I have in the cupboard right now and it doesn't look like it is food safe, but I might be wrong because I actually threw the packaging away. I was just looking at the part that says do not put in your eyes or something. But when I did a search online, there's some rather uh, regular ones that you could pick up at the home centers that to me look like nothing I'd want in your food, but apparently actually are food safe. Hmm. 
Interesting. Hmm. You know, I found uh, it a little bit tricky to find this stuff. Like, I haven't researched it in a while, but a couple of years ago, I was looking for that very thing, food grade epoxy, and had difficulty actually finding something I could purchase. Like, mm-hmm. you might find uh, some industrial coatings company that t- talks about things that they use, but finding something that I could click buy now and actually get this stuff in my shop proved to be a little bit difficult. So, I would love if, if people can kind of, you know, let's crowdsource this, if folks can find. Uh, food grade epoxy uh, on a website somewhere that people can buy send us the link and we'll we'll put it in the show notes yeah definitely like i said the ones i saw online right now in fact i was going to try and bring it up there was like a couple that i'm like uh i really have a hard time believing that is but according to the literature they're claiming it can be used for this but Mm -hmm. yeah i would love to know one for certain that's kind of marketed that way that would be really really awesome would put my my little issues at I, you said food grade epoxy, and I was like, "Is that well, a contradiction in terms?" I didn't know they existed. Well, the, it's obviously it's not going to be something that's going to be um, uh, put in the food. Is that what you're thinking? <laughs> <laughs> mm, this can, epoxy can is eat delicious. It like paste. Well, I'm pretty sure if it's one of those, from what I'm understanding, if it's, I mean, all, all of these would be an indirect contact with the food in the sense that it's like not going into the food; it's just going to be like resting on it, which I guess technically is direct. It's a, but, a delicious chewy nougat. Uh, yeah. Well, that, that someone actually, oh, I wish I could remember the dude's name. He left a comment, I think, on either something on the cutting board because I did a cutting board repair video at one time, uh, mm-hmm. and we were talking about indirect food contact. And he's like, I don't understand how it's indirect. It's in the glue line, and the glue line contacts the food. And I think, I think the key is the glue line is so small and so minute right. that the real bearing surface for the food is the wood and the glue is what's holding that wood together. So uh, all this stuff, I'm looking at a master bond website that makes yeah. FDA approved. Um, it says fully passes rigorous FDA food grade testing requirements, but this is exactly what you're saying. It's like gluing m- food processing parts together and the food's not necessarily running through or over an epoxy coated surface, but it's being run over metal parts that are connected to one another using that epoxy. Right. So I still, I mean, for a cutting board, I still don't know that you can wholeheartedly say, oh, this is perfectly safe. (laughs) Well, I'm really curious to know how big these cracks really are. I mean, if they're just hairline cracks, Mm -hmm. I I mean, just, I know uh, we can go back and forth on the proper care of a uh, cutting board and whether you wash it or not, but I'm sure there's certain actions you can take that would would make it pretty, pretty okay. I was just looking at one here. uh, Let's see. You're not going to run into the dishwasher anyway, right? I hope. Oh, you don't? Why not? I don't know. <laughs> that's, that's fine, right? <laughs> yeah, we should oh, okay. buy some. Well, there's the problem right there. <laughs> uh, looks like I found one here, and we'll have to maybe, I'll try to put a link in it. Uh, this one's epoxy resin, food safe, FDA compliant, very clear, high impact coating. So hmm. yeah, they're out there okay. someplace. Let's find them, people. You Let's know, find my them. question is do the cracks run all the way through? And if not, flip that side down. <laughs> there you go. Boom, <laughs> baby. That's yeah. it. Uh, you know, the other thing to be concerned about with the epoxy, depending on the manufacturer, sometimes the stuff is very thick. And if it's a very thin crack, it's just going to sit there at the top like a little happy bubble. And, and uh, it'll be very difficult to pull it in. But um, uh, if we can, guys, remember to put the, the link to my cutting board repair. Uh, I don't know if I did. A, I think I did a video. Yeah, there's a video on it. And I use a, a vacuum a shop vac on the underside. So if the crack does go through... Put the epoxy uh, on the I top. I've seen that somewhere. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put the vacuum on the bottom, and it'll pull it right into that crack. There, there you, you go. go. Or blow really hard. Like I said, get a straw and just blow <laughs> really hard. <laughs> nice. <laughs> All right, Shannon, you're up. All right, this one comes to us from Kevin, and he 
has well this is one of those um those questions where he went on for a long time in the question and it basically answered all of his questions along the way perfect but <laughs> i thought it would be beneficial to uh uh read it here. So Kevin said, I got this maple slab from a new supplier back in February. And after flattening it twice, it has started to cup. I fattened, I think he meant flattened. I flattened both pieces individually, (laughs) then glued them up and let them sit for a couple of weeks and then flattened it. Okay. I then sanded it, put several coats of wipe on poly. It was dead flat and it was left for a couple of weeks while I went on vacation. When I came back, I noticed a slight cupping and put it down to humidity increase while I was gone. It's not terribly bad, less than an eighth of an inch over a 40 inch width. But what I did next has me a little confused. I routed four channels on the bottom to accept some, to accept some T-track to be used as an extension for additional leaves. Once the tracks were added, the table became dead flat. I thought by routering out the channels for the T-track, it released some tension and made the slab flat again. But when I checked it today, the cup is back in the slab. (laughs) So my question is, is this a poorly dried slab or is it a humidity issue? Um, He did throw some extra in there that his shop, while not insulated, is somewhat um, climate controlled. So that might be a little weird. For reference, the slab had some bad movement in it when I got it. It started at two inches, two and three eighths inches, and now it's one and three quarter inches. So I do think that there's some tension in this slab. I am really hesitant. This comes up a lot. Is this poorly dried? Um, First of all, if it started at two and three eighths inches, you're already getting pretty thick there to the point where drying a board that big is difficult to do. So a lot of times, um, it, sometimes it's just not dried enough because to dry it all the way could potentially cause all kinds of cracking and checking in a, in a wide board like that. But does that mean it was poorly dried? A lot of um, bigger boards are air dried for that uh, specific purpose. Um, I don't know. This is the panel and it's getting to be 40 inches after he glued it up. So we're probably talking about you know maybe a 20-inch wide board. Um, so th- there's all kinds of stuff, tension and stuff that goes on in one of these wide boards that it's perfectly reasonable to expect that, you know, there's going to be some tension release here. Um, it's also perfectly reasonable to expect a fair amount of cupping. Now he's saying an eighth of an inch deflection of a 40 inch width. That's pretty damn good. First yeah. That's all. not bad for, and it's a single slab. Right. And if you're flattening a slab and not securing it to an apron or anything and leaving for a couple of weeks, Mm. I would be shocked if it was dead flat. He did this twice. He said he did it and waited a couple of weeks and then it cupped and then he came back, flattened it again, waited a couple of weeks and it was cupped. That's going to keep happening if you wait a couple of weeks without securing it to something. Wait it down if you can't like, you know, attach it to your to your table or something like that. A big wide slab like that by its very nature is going to cup. And here's one thing. It's rare that you're going to find a quarter sawn slab. Slabs are usually cut flat sawn or through and through sawn, where essentially you're cutting across the widest diameter of the log. So what do we know about that? Generally, the widest part of the tree is nearest the center, right? So you're getting rarely really close to the pith, but they're cutting outside of the pith. For those that don't know, the pith is the very center of the tree. It is a, a bomb. If you if the pith is in a board, the board is going to crack all to, to, to crap. And you'll be pissed it, off? You will be pissed <laughs> off. Um, 
That's so, very pithy of you. Thank you. This, thank you. These wider boards are basically like one layer, one saw cut away from that pith. So what that means is in the center of this wide board, you've got very tight diameter rings because that's where the, the, the narrowest, uh, the, the smallest diameter rings right in the center of the tree. As you move out towards the edge of the boards, you're going to get some quarter sawn material. You're going to get some riff sawn material uh, on those edges, but they're also going to tend to be spaced a little bit further apart as you get further out into the tree. That little center section, that central cathedral that runs down the board that has really tight growth rings, that's basically a hinge because those tight, small diameter rings, as they shrink, that's going to cause it to flatten out and cup and warp in the center a lot more. So you get a lot of deflection in a really, really wide board. And lately, I've, I've come into uh, some nice wide lumber lately. If it is less than eight quarter or uh, 10 quarter sometimes, it's really unstable because of the fact that you've got this hinge in the middle, uh, this really tight. Uh, small diameter growth ring stuff and it's just bound to do some cupping on you You can flatten it but if you don't do something to secure it it's bound to cup again and then when you come back and you cut away part of it and release some more tension yeah it's probably going to cup on you so um i don't think there's really any external factors here i don't think you can say it's poorly dried or it's a humidity issue it's just the nature of a wide board like that Mm -hmm. they're really hard to get flat and keep flat. And you so, guys find as well that if you've got a board that starts off wonky, yeah, that it that, like it's sta- it wants to say that. it yeah. wants to stay wonky. <laughs> like yeah, even gosh, after yes. you flatten no it. How many times I try to flatten that out or do anything I whatever it is that I'm thinking is going to work this time, it never works. It's like my naturally curly hair. You yes, know, no matter exactly that was my next analogy. Yeah, actually. no matter what I do to it, it always wants to curl. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> well, with my toes. you know, and he said he lost what uh, about a half, five eighths of an inch, which that's that's a lot. But at the same time, really wide boards. Um, if you're trying to thickness the entire board at once, you have to expect that you're going to remove a lot of wood because mm-hmm. you're probably already going to have a lot of cup in it, um, just because of the nature of that wide board, because of that little hinge effect I was talking about. Yeah. But yeah, if it's like really twisted. You may think, oh, I can get that twist out. Eh, that twist is probably going to come back. Yeah. <laughs> Once it, wonky, always wonky. Yeah, if I have a board like that in the set, unless it's um, like a non-critical part or a part that I know that will be held in a position that it's not going to hurt anything if it does decide to start moving, I just trash it. I don't, I don't want it in the piece because I know, right. yeah, I might be able to get this thing flat, uh, but that twist is going to come back on all likelihood, and I don't want to take any chances. Cool. All right. Well, if you want to support the show, you can do so. Just head to woodtalkshow.com and look in the right-hand column. You'll see some donation links. You could also get a Wood Talk t-shirt at twwstore.com and head to woodtalkshow.com and sign up for the new giveaway this month. Uh, You can also leave us a review in iTunes. Just head to the iTunes store, click on ratings and reviews, and give us that sweet five-star rating like old Hickory Woodworking did. He says, "Best, best, best woodworking podcast. Let me say that I have listened to every show, and it is just like sitting around with the guys at mcdonald's having a coffee you know the problem is it wouldn't be at mcdonald's it would be at dunkin donuts yeah 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 definitely definitely. yeah Yeah. uh you have a great uh conversation can relate to the topic at hand and learn some good tips and tricks i would suggest this to everyone who's interested in woodworking so thank you so much old hickory woodworking we really appreciate the supportive comments that's great and uh matt how about you give them the contact info and we'll get out of here 
Hey, folks, do you have a comment, a question, topic, suggestion, something that you just want to sit around the table over a coffee and say, you know what? You know what happened to me today? I'm going to tell you what happened to me today, and I'll tell you what's going to happen to me tomorrow. <laughs> there are several different ways you can contact us. You can leave us a voicemail on Skype. Our username is Wood Talk Online. Call our voicemail line at 623-242-5180. Email us at kickback at woodtalkshow.com. Or leave us a comment on our Wood Talk Facebook page. And if you're looking for the show notes or downloads from today's show or previous episodes, you're going to find those over at woodtalkshow.com. And just for the record, I want to tell you, um, I like my coffee black these days. Really? Yeah. No no, no milk? No uh, no sugar? Uh, no cream? Well, it, depend, it depends on where that coffee is coming from. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Oh. So if it's okay. mud coffee from uh, Starbucks, you probably uh, want Then I'm going to want a little something in there. Probably, a little, little something, you know, something. Yeah, a little some steamed milk, a little, you know, shot of caramel. There you go. Nice. Yeah. Well, that sounds um, good. I'm an, I'm an orange mocha frappuccino. Uh, one of those. <laughs> well, you know, we are For only sure. we we're only like days away now. I think from uh, uh, the uh, what the orange or the not the orange the pumpkin spice latte. Oh yeah, that's gonna come. In. That's right. It's summer, so let's bring that in. Yes. <laughs> it's just in time. Just in time for the fall. It, well, it's just ahead of the gingerbread ones. <laughs> right. So let's not get too crazy. Uh, awesome. All right. Well, have a great woodworking week, everybody, and we'll catch you next time. See ya. Yeah.